Welcome to another episode of the 918 Files. My name is Jason C. Vancara. I'm your host. Um, today's episode, we'll be talking about what most people think of when it comes to unusual incidents. And it's personally one of my favorite topics, and that's UFOs, unidentified flying objects. So before we get started, I just want to put this out there. When it comes to UFO sightings and with anything you know in this realm, um, I'm one of those people that are often very skeptical um, for obvious reasons. I mean, coming from law enforcement, whenever there would be a high-profile incident, um, you'll oftentimes get a million different witnesses who actually didn't witness anything at all, right? They're just claiming they did so they can be part of the conversation, part of the excitement, um, so they can get attention. Um, So you kind of have to sift through all of them to find the ones that seem valid so you can start piecing together what happened and another thing you want to try to avoid is you know is is, as a police officer I remember there'd be times where we'd go to an incident and there'd be a group of people standing around and that's one of the worst things you can see as a cop because let's say you see a group of 10 people standing there all together talking Um, those 10 people now are tainted witnesses because they're kind of they're all going to say the same thing right because they've all been exchanging stories about what they saw you know size you know, descriptions, all that, all that stuff. So, um, so that's mainly what you have to do when doing with um, what people claim to see in the skies as well, right? You want to try to get independent um, witnesses that haven't had any outside information other than what they saw or heard with their own eyes. So, the second part of this is once you have something that seems credible, um, you then have to evaluate. Uh, the information. So in reference to what we're talking about, you can go from it being a legitimate UFO sighting, as in it's something that is legitimately unexplainable, to it being something that can be explained or identified, such as a satellite or some other identifiable aircraft. So let's say, you know, Mr. Smith is out in his yard and he sees something in the sky. He describes it, you know, he, he reports it. And then experts know what he's seeing. They're saying, no, 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 that's that, that's actually a flare. And because of this, and they can explain it and thoroughly explain it, um, you know, so, but it's the ones that, that, that you can't. So in this, it's, it's the incidents though that get past all of this that intrigue me though, right? It's the incidents that have multiple independent witnesses who are all giving similar information, incidents that can't be explained by science or an expert you know, or anything of that matter. And it's, and then that's what we'll focus on in today's episode. So in this podcast, we're going to do an overview of a handful of incidents that have occurred over the years in Arizona. And when it comes to Arizona, there've actually been a lot of incidents, um, primarily like the Southwest in general. So, because a lot of people think of, when you think of UFOs, they think of Roswell. Uh, it's not far from, from Arizona. So, I mean, New Mexico is right next door. So, but and also joining us uh, to discuss some of these incidents will be Stacy Wright from MUFON. So, um, like I said, there have been a lot of UFO uh, incidents in Arizona, like a lot. Uh, according to the National UFO Reporting Center, Arizona ranks sixth out of the 50 states with over 4,500 sightings since 1950. Like 4,500, that means crazy. But... Like I mentioned before, the tough part is always determining which of these are legitimate and valid sightings and which of these fall into the category of, 
you know, you should probably stop drinking or you really need to get some sleep because you're seeing stuff. Um, you know, you, you have to find out which ones are actually valid though. So here's a few of the incidents that have been reported over the last several months in Arizona. So you can kind of get a, a perspective of what people are seeing in the skies. So on September 6th, uh, of 2021, uh, at 7, 7 p.m. in the evening, someone reported seeing a strange circle formation of lights in the Tucson area that were more moving nor- northeast towards Oracle, Arizona. So and for anyone that doesn't know, it's not from Arizona. Tucson is about two hours south of Phoenix, so it's closer to the border. So on April 29th at 10 p.m., someone in Flagstaff, so Flagstaff is about two hours north of Phoenix, and it's kind of in the mountains, um, someone reported seeing a bright yellow object that instantly disappeared as they were looking at it, which is really weird. And then on March 25th at 7.45 p.m., and this is the one, this stuff intrigues me the most, um... This individual saw a large, cigar-shaped, low-flying craft with solid lights um, just outside of Peoria, which is west of Phoenix. So joining us now to discuss all this UFO activity is Stacy Wright, who is the state director for the Arizona Mutual UFO Network, also known as MUFON, and also Marianne Robb, who is a field investigator with MUFON. Ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me, uh, what exactly is MUFON? Like, what is, what do you guys do? Well, MUFON is the acronym for the Mutual UFO Network, which was founded in 1969 and took off where Project Blue Book with the Air Force left off. And MUFON was formed to be a, a reporting database for UFO sightings. But not only do people get to report stuff in, but we also investigate very cool. And then is it just in Arizona or is it across the United States, it's globally? It's a worldwide organization worldwide? and it's most prevalent in the United States. We have chapters in all 50 states and usually multiple chapters within the states. In Arizona right now, we just have two chapters, which is Phoenix MUFON and Sedona MUFON. But we do get our very fair share of sighting reports each year, usually about 350 reports a year. So we're really busy. We've got a team of 21 certified field investigators working for us here just in the state of Arizona. So it's a busy group of people. Okay. Um, and how many incidents would you say have occurred in total? Do you, do you know oh, the numbers? In or, total. Because uh, we're probably talking thousands, tens right? Tens of thousands of things have been reported into MUFON, and they keep a, a very large database of all of these sighting reports. So we're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle in order to find some sense out of this. And mm-hmm. they've gained great ground on this since 1969. But again, those avenues lead off into more mysteries as well. So we don't have the whole picture yet, but we work on it daily. And basically you guys just collect the information, send the field investigator out, and then just try to analyze, right, what it is and then... Yeah, when someone sees something that they uh, don't know what it is in the sky or even on the ground, they can report it into MUFON. And then there's a, a set of questions that they answer, and it goes into our main database. We then assign a field investigator to go out and visit that person, and some questions are asked, and it's discussed, and we try to find out exactly what it is and what it isn't. 
Okay. Mostly it's what it isn't. So we do have a certain set of protocols that the field investigators follow and a lot of special programs that they can use to find out what these things are. So you've been doing this for a while then? Like how long have you been involved? Yeah, I've been involved with MUFON just since 2007. Okay. So I've done my fair share of cases as well, um, over 100 field investigations. But our team is so much better than I am because they are trained daily. And I don't do a lot of cases now. I do most of the administrative work for MUFON. Um, but we're still involved with a lot of things that happen. Some of the higher caliber cases that come along um, might be you know, a Category 3 case. And I would go along on that as well. Okay. So of all the incidents you've been involved in, like directly and even the ones that you've heard about, which one stands out the most? Like if I were to ask you to say, okay, I need one incident that will kind of quiet skeptics, which incident would it be? Which um, one stands out to you? Definitely that would have to be the Phoenix Lights incident. So this was March of 1997. And this was witnessed by really tens of thousands of people across the heart of Arizona. Even the governor, right, at the time? The uh, supposedly the governor at the time, yes. Uh, there were over a 1,000 911 calls reported in. And to this day, no one can debunk this. There are certain characteristics that happened that day with the one main uh, V-shaped craft that flew over the heart of Phoenix that just can't be quieted. There was something so very large and so very low and flew so very slow with absolutely no sound. And the no sound thing to me is what really gets you because, you know, back in 1997, yes, we have some great technology with the things we're working on, mm -hmm. but we don't make things that have no sound, especially back then. Our yeah, propulsion was... systems are loud and scary and full of fire. This had nothing like that. It was perfectly silent. And that was um, what all the witnesses agree on is that there was no sound whatsoever. So that makes it even more interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm prior military, too, and I've been around aircraft my entire life, basically. And, you know, you have something in the sky that's moving. It's like, what's moving that? But the thing that sticks out with this incident is the fact that you had witnesses that were all independent, in different locations all over the place, they were saying the same exact things, right? Right. Yeah. People had similar things, but, you know, actually there was, there was so much going on that whole day that no one really knows about. There were sightings across the whole state of Arizona. Uh, there were sightings up on the Navajo reservation of some things that they'd been seeing flying around the valleys up there starting the night before. The shape of the different crafts that people were seeing, you know, went from the boomerang shape to squares to circles to orbs of light. There was a whole gamut of things that were being reported that day. But the one thing that people remember is the big boomerang-shaped craft that flew right over the heart of Phoenix. And didn't the military say they blamed it on flares, right? Yeah, the military did say that it was uh, something called Operation Snowbird that they were performing out of Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson. Um, the main sighting that people saw happened at 8.30 at night. The flare incident happened at 1030 at night. So yes, they did come in and they did drop flares. They can, they can vouch for that. They did drop flares, but it was as if they were doing it for a cover-up of what the earlier incident really was. The magic flares. That magic flares. Slowly yes. move and, uh -huh. you know, anyway, I call those aircraft, but, um, so I'm going to tell you guys about an incident that I had last Christmas. And then you guys can kind of let me know, like, 
if how I should have reported that to you, okay? So and so any of our listeners can kind of get an idea of what they need to do if they experience something or they see something, even if it's just very small, because something small might end up being something very big, right? Right. So last Christmas, my wife um, and her brother were all outside. It was about 6 p.m., and we're over in southeast Phoenix area. And I'm look, I'm walking my dog, and I look up in the sky to the south, and there's three orange lights kind of moving in unison to the east across the sky, right? And originally, they, I thought they were aircraft like like Blackhawks, because in the area that where I live, there's always the army's always flying around, and I thought that's what they were due to the altitude and the speed. But as I'm looking at them, what caught my attention though was the light. I've never seen orange lights on aircraft like that. And they weren't blinking like your normal aircraft stuff. They're just normal, like solid orange lights. So they're moving across the sky to the east. And then they kind of just all disappeared. They're gone. And then I'm looking around, like, where did these things go? And then I look up. I'm still looking around. And five seconds later, they reappear. And then again, they're all in unison. They're kind of flying. They're not totally in line with each other, but they're perfectly spaced. But they're not... You know, the heights are different. They're just a little bit off, like helicopters would fly. That's what I thought they were. But then as they're flying, they get to a certain spot over to the east now. And as the first one gets to a certain spot, it just vanished. And it kind of went from big to small and then gone. And then the second one, in the exact same spot, then the same thing. And then the third one, the exact same thing. So we're all standing there going, what in the blank that I just witnessed. And because, I mean, we all had our cell phones too. So it's like, we didn't record it because you just, you're in the moment and you're just looking at this thing and you're like, what did I just look at? So let's say you have someone like me, let's say I wanted to report this. And I say, look, I have no video footage because I was looking, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't think to take my phone out. How do I report that? Like how, what would be the steps like if I were to tell you, hey, I just saw this, what do I do? Well, what you would do if you see something that you really want to find out what it is, you can report this into MUFON to our database by going to www.mufon.com. There's a tab there on the website that says Report a UFO, and you go to a simple form and you fill in a few of the details on there and you submit it. It then shoots into the main database. The information is input there and it shoots back down to the originating state. So it would come to my desk, and then I would assign a, one of our certified field investigators to that case. So um, it's a, pr- a simple process, you know, and people, you know, you're contacted within 72 hours by the field investigator, and the details are gone over. And it depends on, you know, what exactly has gone on with this case as to what as to how we categorize it. Um, now, what I would think if you were just telling me about this case or I was reading it from you for the first time, because of where we live here... And because we know of what is just to the south of us, which is the Barry Goldwater Range, which is where they test all the illumination flares for basically the whole country, there's a lot of activity going on down there. And if you are at one of the higher elevations just around the city here, you live in a house that might be up on a hill a little bit, you can look south pretty much on any night and see these orange orbs down there in the sky. And this is what people have been seeing for a long time that gets reported into us, but we can then go into our protocols that we use for trying to find out what's what and find out that, yes, indeed, they were dropping flares that night. 
So if your report was to come to me, I would say, oh, well, those really sound like flares. I, I bet you just because of the direction he was looking and the color that he's describing, this might be a flare. But, you know, we have ways of finding out what it wasn't, what it was, maybe. Yeah, so, another case of the, the magic flares right. that just kind of fly right. in unison. So if you were to have, so talk to you now, Marianne. Um, so you're the field investigator, right? Yes, I am. Okay, and then, so if I say, so Stacy says, hey, we got this incident, this is what this guy's saying, um, and you go out and you come and talk to me, what are some things that you're looking for when you're talking to me? Like, because you know, I mean, you've been in law enforcement, you're retired law enforcement, right? That's correct, yeah. How many years? 34 years. That's a long, that's a, <laughs> that's a long time. I did 11, so God bless you, I couldn't, <laughs> I was out. Um, and you've dealt with people that, little off center, right? People that just, that they're probably not speaking the truth or they did, you know, their version of the, of reality is different than everyone else's, right? How do you weed out the people that are actually valid and they're saying what, I, you know, hey, I saw this and this is real as opposed to someone that's, you know, looking for attention or just seeing stuff that's not there? What do you, how do you do that? Well, um, first of all, we contact the witness and we set up a meeting. We try to do a, if we can, we try to have a meeting uh, with the person in person. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, again, as being a police officer, I've done thousands and thousands of interviews uh, with people, whether they're suspects, whether they're witnesses, or whether they're victims. And we look for deception. We, when we ask them a question, uh, what is their body language telling us? What are their eyes telling us? What are they verbally saying? Are they answering my questions with a question? Um, and we try to see what type of deception. Well, first of all, we say, just tell us a story. Tell mm -hmm. us everything. And we let them talk. First of all, we have to, we see, are what they telling us in person the same thing they wrote down on the report with the CMS? Um, or there are people that we don't want to make judgments to start with, but when they start embellishing things of their sighting or, yeah, you can tell they're a little bit out there if, I don't know how to explain it too much, but they, they do tell the story where now there's beings shooting out of it or there's all kinds of lights. And yeah, you can kind of um, get a feel of a person while you're sitting there talking to them. Yeah, you just want to validate right. the story, right? You're, just, you're you're basically interviewing them. I mean, because cops, we, we've all done it, right? Where you sit down, someone comes up, they want to report a crime or they say that, you know, something happened. You take everyone as a credible person at first and then you say, okay, well, what happened? Because, I mean, I had it before where we had an incident. It was like a Sunday morning where she's, this lady called us and said, hey, I got this crime that happened. And it sounds so weird and so off where we were all going into it, giving her the benefit of the doubt, but in the back of our minds, we're like, yeah, there's no way this is reality, right? Right. It turned out it was reality and we're like, oh man, she was telling the truth. So with like these people that, that report these types of crimes or not crimes, but these, these types of incidents, right? That's what you're trying to do is just, you just want to validate it, correct? That is correct. We want to see if they're being deceptive with us or could it have really have happened? Yeah. So, and then, so once you go out and you talk to these, to the people that are reporting this stuff, then what happens with that information? Does it go back to the state? Does, do you, 
We'll still continue our investigation. There's a lot of steps that we have to follow. Okay. Um, we will check flight plans. Uh, if we can contact, say, Luke Air Force Base, uh, our chief investigator uh, would contact whether it's Barry Goldwater Range, whether Luke Air Force Base, try to talk to one, say, hey, did you have any maneuvers that evening? Uh, we check other uh, websites. The uh, National UFO Reporting Center, has anybody reported that? Um, and we check the news. Was there anything on the news? So we, we check um, different outlets to see if anybody else has uh, reported these lights. Um, then we'll check what we call Stellarium, and that is a program that talks about the universe, the, the uh, ISS going over the International Space uh, Station, or whether could it have been a comet, could it have been a satellite, could it have been whatever. Even though it doesn't sound like it is, we still have to follow the protocols, and we try to rule everything out. We After that, um, we basically then write up a report of course, we ask them if there's any pictures or video, and boy, does that help if they if someone does. Everybody has a cell phone. Yeah. Like on your case, you're so in awe of what you're seeing because yep. you're thinking there's no way what I'm seeing I'm seeing. You totally forget to take your cell phone out of your back pocket. Uh, even as cops, we're supposed to be prepared. And no, there's times that you get in this awe moment and you forget to do yeah, that. Yeah, you, you just see it and you're just kind of like... Yeah. So... You hope people can take, we would love to have pictures and video, even if it is on your cell phone, it'd be great if you had a still camera, 35 millimeter, digital, whatever. But after that, we do fill out report. Uh, unfortunately, I would say close to maybe 90, 95% of all the reports are somewhat explainable. Whether it's they're seeing a satellite or they're seeing a planet or anything like that. So if it's unexplainable and we can't figure out what it is, it'd be an unknown. We fill out that report. We put our conclusion in and then it gets shipped back to our chief investigator and our state director. And then it goes back up to move on. And that's what I like about what you guys do, though, is the fact that you look for a logical, scientific, reality-based reason for what people are seeing, right? Because, right. I mean, if people that have seen satellites in the skies, they look weird, but it's like you can kind of explain it. But it's like I talked about earlier in the podcast is the fact that I like the incidents that have been weeded out and that they've gone through the ringer and they're still, you can't explain them. It's like those, um, the stuff that everyone's been talking about with the Navy, with the, the Tic Tacs and all that stuff, where you have video, you have footage, you have certified credible witnesses to this stuff and people are still like, I don't know what that, what that is. So that, I like the fact that you guys do that. You shouldn't be jumping to the conclusion of, oh, that's a UFO. That's got aliens on it. You, that You shouldn't be doing that. You should be like, okay, well, let's take a step back and try to figure out what this thing is and then go from there. But definitely. So if someone wants to be more involved in your organization, what are the steps like? And then also, are there any type of are you looking for like a certain background, experience, um, age group? Like, what are you guys looking for if someone wants to come to your organization and like help you guys out and assist? Well, what people can do, and we often have requests like this, how can I get more involved with MUFON? Well, you can become an official member of MUFON. 
Um, it is a volunteer organization, so no one is getting paid for any of this stuff that we're doing. There's a lot of hours put in, but no one's getting paid. Um, it's just that we have a passion for this and a, a need to find out some answers to this mystery. So, you know, you can come to our meetings. We have Phoenix MUFON meetings once a month, and we have guest speakers from all over the world that we bring in, um, really high-caliber uh, speakers and subjects. So we're getting some great material. Um, you can attend our meetings and learn more and go home and do your own research, which is what we love to promote. You can also become a certified field invest investigator for us. Um, we'd love to have, you know, anyone that is interested join our team. And, you know, what we're looking for, we're looking for some, we need youth back into MUFON. Mm -hmm. It's run by a bunch of really great people, but the age range um, our median age attendance for the meetings is probably 45 to 50, wouldn't you say, Marianne? Yeah, I'd say. So, you know, we'd love to get some some younger people involved with the meetings and with the subject, and they are. I mean, we um, I have gone to speak at a lot of the colleges around here for certain classes, and when I ask for a show of hands of people that know what in the world I'm talking about, 90% of the class raises their hands. They are watching some of the shows on TV. They are finding their own research online. They're looking into it. So it's not like this is a subject that no one's ever heard about and they're rolling their eyes. It's not like that. These kids have all grown up with this subject, unlike, you know, their, their older generations and their family. But I think that if you get a group of people, any group of people together, and you ask them all, who here has seen a UFO or knows someone that has seen a UFO? Every hand is raised. It's not a subject that they, you know, roll their eyes and say, what are you talking about? This is a very mainstream subject now. It just depends on how deep you want to go with it and the research that you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, there's a, a wide range, actually, of the subjects that fall into the UFO-related realm. So it's, it's very interesting, and we'd love to have anyone who's interested, you know, contact us or contact the main MUFON at MUFON.com and just let us know of your interest. Yeah, and the thing is, too, that I think, because there's stigma, right, about UFOs and everything else, but I think that's what's what's changed over the years is the fact that when you talk about UFOs, you're not talking about spaceships and aliens and whatever. It's just something that's unidentified that's flying in the air. You just don't know what, what it is, and that's what we want to find out. So it's, you know, Hollywood played a large role in that stuff, but... Oh, yeah, that uh, definitely piques the imagination, but... You know, we've had sighting reports of UFOs from the dawn of time. We've had Neanderthal people. You know, mm -hmm. They were drawing things on the cave walls of what they were seeing. They did not know what it was. They did not how, know how to compare it to anything. They just knew that it flew through the sky. So a lot of times, whatever they drew had some wings attached to it because they had no other way of actually, you know, telling someone what they were seeing. It wasn't yeah. a, a, you know, a conventional aircraft that I saw flying across the sky. They would just say, you know, it was a bird. So they were drawing these things on the cave walls. They were passing them down through oral traditions. Um, a lot of it became mythology or some kind of lore. But there definitely is a very scientific study of these craft. And that is what, you know, MUFON is interested in, is the scientific yeah. study, finding out what this is and weeding out some of the mumbo-jumbo that uh, people associate with it. And that's the thing I like about what you guys do, though, is the fact that you're looking for, to, you just want to identify it. You're not looking for certain, you're not going into it saying, hey, I'm looking for this. Yeah. You're looking for, you're taking what people are seeing and you're just trying to figure out what, 
everyone else is seeing. And there's uh, about 95% of everything that is reported into us can be identified. Which is good because which is great. This We're is <laughs> really finding out what this stuff is. So ninety five of it is uh, not a you know unidentified. We can identify what that was, but it's the other five percent that makes it so very interesting. Oh, big the time! The other five percent. What is this then? So what yeah. is this? The five percent of everything that's reported out there is still a huge number, and we don't know what this is. They are true unknowns. Yeah, it goes back to the the Tic Tac stuff. It's like. What is that? And when you don't have answers for it, it kind of, because humans are very inquisitive, right? You want to know what this stuff is, and it's it's actually kind of cool. It's a little scary at the same time. So Yeah, it is very interesting, yeah. Because when you have Navy pilots that are like, what is this thing? And it's just totally outmaneuvering them, and it's, right. it's not a the cool thing. The so. characteristics that these craft are displaying that we do have on, you know, military footage and their eyewitness testimony as well, they're... They're displaying characteristics that we cannot do. Yeah, which we, is that's not something we made. It's not a, um, not a not good a thing, I guess. Inside that craft, there, yeah. it's beyond human capability to do some of these things. So very cool. Um, so before y'all leave, any parting words or where people can get more information? Or well, um, I know we Phoenix Mufon has a website, and I believe it's phoenixmufon.com. Um, on there has all of our. Uh, Future meetings that we have, um, please come to a meeting. They are on Saturdays once a month, and they are at the Historical Society, which is in Scottsdale. It's basically off Scottsdale on a 202. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to have anybody come out. Um, what goes on at these meetings? Didn't you, you had a meeting yesterday, yesterday right? Yesterday, With correct. The, any of the, the Navajo Rangers? Correct. The the Navajo, they, they're called Paranormal Rangers now. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Dover, Stan Milford Jr. Uh, they are basically, they were federal police officers up on the Navajo Reservation. And one of their biggest investigations that they did, they were assigned to, was the paranormal up on the Navajo Reservation. And it is amazing the things that are happening up there, whether it's lights, whether it's ghosts, Bigfoot, paranormal kind of things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing. Uh, they, it was a great, it's a three hours. The meetings last three hours and we have awesome speakers. Matter of fact, November 20th, um, our speaker then is going to be, uh, David Child, uh, Hatcher Childress, who is as famous on Ancient Aliens, the television show, and he'll be our next speaker. Oh, very cool. So it is fantastic. But anybody, now I just want to plug a little thing is here in Phoenix, we do a MUFON, the field investigator boot camp every year, usually in November. And what's great about that is anybody that either wants to become a field investigator or is a field investigator but just wants to brush up on their techniques like we did as police officers, always doing advanced training, we do a boot camp. It's basically two and a half days um, and you're taught interviewing, how to do a report, uh, astronomy, um, video photo analysis, all kinds of cool stuff. So that's also on the Phoenix Move on website if anybody's ever interested in that. Very cool. All right, ladies, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So to close out this episode, um, all I can say is that there is a lot of activity in the state in regards to UFOs, from incidents like the Phoenix Lights to random sightings from lone individuals. Um, so if you see anything unusual, um, don't be afraid to report it to places like 
the nufork.org or MUFON, M-U-F-O-N.com. Like I said, if if you're seeing something unusual, don't be afraid to report it. If you, you know, you don't know what it is and you might be that, that piece that, you know, that information that people need um, to complete the puzzle. So um, we're definitely going to do more episodes on this topic because obviously there's a ton of um, material for this uh, because, you know, like I said, there's 4,500 sightings over the last 60, 70 years in Arizona and there just continues to be more and more and more. So uh, we're definitely going to do more shows and some of the shows are going to be focused on one specific incident and then other shows what we'll do is we'll just piece together like three or four smaller ones um, but yeah we're gonna have a lot of fun with it so so stay tuned um, but until next time keep your eyes on the skies